Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Build the portfolio of tomorrow today with alternative investments previously reserved for only the top 1%. Yield Street's cutting-edge investment products are designed to grow your wealth, bringing you one step closer to the financial independence you crave. With minimums at just $500 and access to investments in art, real estate, venture capital, and more, the future of alternative investing is now with Yield Street. Visit YieldStreet.com to get started. That's YieldStreet.com. The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Over the line, or throws it, he's in. A backhander and a save by Tony Esposito. Stan Mikita was a, a small guy, very cocky in those days. A right hand by Magnuson, and he puts that guy down. Magnuson trying to tear his hair out. NBC Chicago's James Naveau. Murphy picked out a minute. Odyssey Chicago Hockey Insider, Jay Zawoski. No more! Hawks win! Hawks win again! Chris Chelios in overtime! Part of Blue Wire Podcast. Came off the boards, he shoots, he's going down to the Tays! A game-winning goal! The Hawks live to fight another day! Falling back, circle of drives, get it from The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Chicago's going to be in last place forever. Play the center for Tays, you got to break away! Triple Threat Sports, Fry the Coop, and by the Since In-Law Group, let's drop the puck. Welcome in, Blackhawks fans. This is the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast postgame show. My name is James Naveau from NBC5, and with me as always is Jay Zawoski of Odyssey, of WBBM, of the I'm Fat Podcast, we get to discuss a Blackhawks victory. They won for the first time in the nation's capital since 2006, beating the Washington Capitals in a shootout on Thursday night. Jay, we uh, kind of talked a little bit before the show started, and I think that it's a very good place to start our conversation now that the mics are hot and the tape's rolling. This was a really interesting, entertaining, and well-played hockey game, I thought, by both teams. Yeah, let, let's. that's the place to start because there is a lot of other sort of periphery stuff we're going to talk about in the game itself. But overall, to take a, a, a win on the road, shootout or not, against a team that was engaged and interested and wanting to be there and playing hard, um, that's impressive. And now we've seen a stretch of games from the Hawks in a row, wins and losses, in which they've been arguably as good 
as or better than their opponents, but we're going to get into all of it real quick. Make sure you're following us on our social media accounts, Madhouse Pod on Twitter, Madhouse underscore pod on Instagram, Madhouse Hockey Pod on Facebook. We've got our T Public Shop. Check that out. Link in bio everywhere. And I think that's really all we need to mention here. So uh, Hawks win 4-3 in the shootout. Patrick Kane is the only one to score. Two Capitals hit the post. <laughs> and yeah. it was like, I think, six for the game in this I, one. I lost count, yeah. Yeah, I think Pat Foley said six. Um, we're, I want to get into that a little bit, too, because I think a lot of that, not all of it, but a lot of it has to do with Marc-Andre Fleury's positioning, right? Like, there's just nowhere else to shoot the puck and you you got to aim wide and you miss you know so it's he gets a little bit of credit for some of those not all six though (laughs) not gonna go that far no he owes those posts a nice steak dinner I know he's got a habit of thanking the posts and gently caressing them but I think they earned themselves a meal tonight yeah at least I think second base at least (laughs) for the goalpost (laughs) what mark why are you humping i owe it to the goalpost i'm sorry i have to hump it um all right where should we start this this thing took a weird turn it sure did it it usually does sort of where do we want to start on this one i think just just in general a solid defensive performance against a good team especially only five defensemen for the record exactly Connor murphy goes down uh, in the first period, does not return, looks very woozy after taking a big and clean hit from mm-hmm. Alex Ovechkin. And if you missed the hit, Ovechkin, after the play and after Murphy was up, sort of came up and I don't know if he apologized, but sort of patted him on the back, letting him know he wasn't trying to hurt him there. And it was just a clean hit. Ovechkin's a huge dude who can hit like a champ. And uh, Connor Murphy got the the bad end of that hit. So, yeah, the Hawks with five defensemen for the bulk of the game and they really sort of stepped up. The one area of concern I had, and I think it's understandable, you know, when you see a guy in your team like Murphy, a leader, go down, get injured, that was probably the worst stretch of the game for the Hawks was the um, the, the minutes immediately following that, that hit. Mm-hmm. They really had a dip. And if you look at kind of the game flow on natural stat trick, you'll see in the first period a giant dip in favor of the Capitals. That's when that happened. Then the Hawks take the lead at the end of the first period uh and uh and they and they th- things got better you know like they then it started ramping up 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 in favor of the hawks but they really fell behind uh in terms of generating play momentum all those sort of things after murphy went down which again kind of understandable when you see a guy that important to your team uh look in that bad of shape yeah i mean that that's that is a leader on the team he wears an a for a reason the team really uh looks highly upon him and looks to him for leadership and just a very key member of a defense that you and i have both uh shouted out on multiple occasions recently recently they've been playing a lot better lately and murphy's been a big part of the reason why and in the short term losing him for the game and kind of having that lull when he left the ice was very noticeable but if he's not going to be able to play in some of these games coming up the Blackhawks are going to have some pretty serious issues because I think that his impact on the game cannot be understated I think that the Blackhawks have been playing some really sound defense recently they've been doing a lot of things 
uh, better on that end of the ice. And losing him is going to kind of shuffle up the defensive pairings a little bit. It's going to force the Blackhawks to probably have some matchups that they're not going to be overly confident in, especially playing these games on the road. And it just is kind of a cascading effect. And I think that the uh, in the instance tonight where they kind of struggled when he left the ice, I get the sense that we're probably going to see a little bit more of that and a little bit more uh, kind of jumbling up, I would think, of the pairings on the part of Derek King. He's going to have to kind of pick his way through, and hopefully Murphy won't be out for long, but it's really hard to imagine that this is just going to be kind of a day-to-day type thing. It feels like this, uh, not to speculate too much, but I wasn't overly uh, confident watching him leave the ice tonight. No, very wobbly, very woozy. Uh, obviously, as we always do, we're keeping our, our eye on Twitter for any sort of post-game comments. Uh, and if we get him, we'll, of course, pass them on before we wrap things up. Um, I, I, it was a, It's a big loss. And, and if there's good news for the Hawks, it's that it looks like Riley Stillman is very close to returning. Uh, we'll probably be ready to go in the next game. But if we, as we look through the minutes here for the defenseman, uh, Connor Murphy had 11 shifts, 809. Again, like I said, left the game in the first period. Uh, Seth Jones, 29-37. Jake McCabe, 27-39. Yeah, 27-39. Um, just scrolling down here. Sorry, Kalnick fifteen forty two, Gustafson twenty two oh seven, Caleb Jones eighteen oh five. So you saw a lot of these guys who aren't used to playing minutes this big pick up the slack and uh, and play really well. And Seth Jones, by the way, a goal, an assist, three shots on goal, five more shot attempts, three hits, and six blocked shots. Not to uh, mention that sounds like a good game. Yeah, not to mention the late game tying goal. Yes, I know he had a two on one in overtime where he shot it wide, but he was going for the far post and just missed. Seth Jones was a man possessed in this game a couple times, won puck battles against Alexander Ovechkin, which not a lot of people do for the record. <laughs> it's not something that happens very often. Uh he's had his ups and he's had his downs this season. But the ups are way more often than the downs. And this was one of his best games of the season, I thought. Yeah, and I think that uh, some people may look at uh, some of the possession metrics and may think to themselves that he didn't have an overly great night considering that he ended up being a 40% on the the old Corsi chart. But there are several things to keep in mind. One, he was getting, honestly, some really tough defensive assignments tonight. I felt like the, the Capitals kind of win at him a little bit. And I think that playing almost 30 minutes in the game, you're inevitably going to be tasked with stopping Alex Ovechkin and his merry men of merry uh, band of henchmen and I thought that he largely acquitted himself well tonight on that front and I just again I have to say how awesome it is to have a blue liner like Seth Jones who can create so many plays on the offensive side of things and I thought that he had a really great night on both ends of the ice. I love the way he's been moving with the puck. When we watched him play against St. Louis, it's always great to watch him kind of eyeball the way that the play is going to develop and then move quickly to kind of take advantage of any openings. And he continued to do that tonight, I thought. And it was a really well-played game at both ends of the ice by Seth Jones, especially only having five defensemen. It would have been really easy for him to kind of get gassed a little bit and maybe have some plays that he took off on the offensive end. But I didn't see any of that from him tonight. And I thought he was hugely effective throughout the game. The goal that he scored to yeah. tie the game was awesome. It was so good, like such a good, hard shot for a defenseman of all people. I was just extremely 
extremely impressed with uh, the way that he played on both ends of the ice tonight and have been for a little while now, I think. I, it's been a while since he's really had kind of a rough game. I really have been liking his play. Yeah, when you're on the ice for half the game, and that's basically what Seth Jones did. He played basically half the game today. And you're on a team that is not a cup contender. You're you're When the metrics, at the end of the night, your metrics are going to be low, right? Because just in general, you're a team that's not going to win a possession battle and you're playing half the game. So sometimes those numbers can lie a little bit. By the way, assisting on that goal uh, by Seth Jones was Josiah Slavin playing in his first game in the NHL, picking up an assist. And I, you know, 1040 of ice time for Slavin. I kind of liked his game. He looks like he belongs. You know, we talk about this a lot. I kind of, you watch guys play and you say, what does this guy provide? Like what, what are the Hawks see in this guy that, that made them call him up? Cause it is over the last few days, you and I have been speculating like, okay, if it's not, Nylander and it's not Reichel who's currently injured who is mm-hmm. the next call up for the Hawks and Slavin is the guy comes in plays well plays on the penalty kill mm-hmm. uh in the first period and I think he quitted himself really well I, I like his game a lot I don't think he's gonna be you know everyone wants to be the next Brandon Hagel now right like oh a bottom six guy who surprised people I don't know if that's realistic the but fourth line farm give me Josiah Slavin over uh I'll take him over Hardman at this point I'll take him over Reese Johnson at this point. I mean, look, it's one game, so I don't want to mm-hmm. make too many grand uh, proclamations. But from what I saw of, of him in this game, he looks like he belongs and he looks like a player. I, I think that uh, you mentioned that you wouldn't mind him playing over Mike Hardman. I would uh, counter that just a little bit by saying that I really liked what I saw from him when he was out on the ice with Hardman and with Ryan Carpenter. I thought that that line had some really good – uh, chemistry during the game they had really good possession numbers according to natural stat trick by all rights I think could have easily had a goal or two in this game just some of the chances that they were generating and I thought that Slavin played really good on both ends of the ice I think that he absolutely has earned another shot in the lineup on Saturday and frankly I think that he would be perfectly suited to playing that wing again with Carpenter and Hardman I think that that was a really interesting combination put together by Derek King it's one that I think could potentially have some success there's not a ton of offensive upside on that line but they still created some chances when they got opportunities tonight and I think that if they can continue to do that that's a really good solid line to have at the bottom of the lineup that'll kind of allow you to uh, mix and match a little bit on the uh, top three lines. I think that's something that Derek King is probably going to continue to do just a little bit of tinkering here and there. But if you have that one solid line at the bottom that you can trust to play in either an offensive or a defensive situation, I think you kind of write it. And I think that's something the Blackhawks are definitely going to be able to do here in the short term. Yeah. And I think this is the lineup I'm writing too. This is what I'm going with. And you know, Dylan Strom returns to the lineup, wasn't overly impressive, had a really nice play that we'll get to in a little bit here is because there's a, a big part of this game I want to talk about. Um, but Slavin, Hardman, Carpenter, one, two and three on the team in uh, possession today. That line played really, really well. And uh, it's for me, this is what I'm sticking with. This to me feels like the best lineup now with Murphy out. Uh, hopefully Stillman's ready to go. Um I don't know. And it looks like Eric Gustafson is just part of the plans here. He's not going to, 
you know, he it, it doesn't look like he's going to sit out. And again, he hasn't been horrible. He just hasn't no. provided the offense we all thought he was going to. But and Scott Powers had an interesting piece about what he's been contributing and kind of acknowledged that he hasn't exactly been the player that the Blackhawks kind of advertised him as being, but made a fairly compelling case that he's been one of their top six defensemen lately and kind of deserves to continue to get some ice time. So kudos to Scott for kind of digging in on that a little bit. It definitely kind of made me uh, think about things more. Yeah, and I think that he's been better defensively than we expected. So, you know, you sacrifice some of the offense for some defense, fine. I'll take I'll take that, especially on this team that needs all the help it can get defensively. The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast is brought to you by our friends at Fry the Coop and FryTheCoop.com. Go get some of the best damn hot chicken you'll ever have in your life. Oaklawn, Elmhurst, West Town, Prospect Heights, and Tinley Park. The tenders, the donut chicken sandwich, the Nashville hot chicken sandwich, the craft beers, everything there is fantastic. Go try Fry the Coop, FryTheCoop.com. All right. I didn't want to start here, and I, I have to, but I have to get to it. And I, I'm fearful of this becoming a show where every day we dissect Kirby Doc's play with a fine with a with a microscope, right? Like we're just nitpicking at everything he does. But this game in particular really kind of frustrated me. Because as we've been saying in our continued discussion about his lack of production, we've said, look, everything else is there aside from faceoffs, right? Like good with the puck, strong on the puck, willing to go in front, good passer, making things happen. You know what I mean? Like you see the skill. This, to me, was one of the most frustrating nights I've seen from Kirby Doc, and it started when Dylan Strom worked his ass off, fought out in front of the net, gave the puck to Kirby Doc in front of the net all alone, and Doc passes it back to Strom, who's got two Washington Capitals draped all over him. No shot on goal is, rec- is recorded. And then they see the replay of that play, and Doc had all day to settle the puck down, take the shot he wanted to, I think a major part of this is confidence, but someone's got to get the message to him. Kirby, we want you to start thinking shoot first. Shoot, shoot, shoot. Get it into your head to shoot the puck. Because, look, we've said time and time again that if Kirby Doc is not really, really good, then the next generation of Hawks is not going to win much. Like, yeah, the number three overall pick becoming a star player is almost essential to this team's next phase. And if, if he's just a guy or if he's the next Dylan Strom, you know, number three overall pick to become a guy who's in and out of the lineup and inconsistent, the window for the Hawks to win again is not going to be open for a long, long time. So apparently the Blackhawks shouldn't be allowed to pick third in the draft. <laughs> well, it worked out with Taves, right? Well, can't didn't with Cam Barker. <laughs> That's true. Hey, you want a cup? Come on. That's true. He did. You got me there. <laughs> um, And then, so fine, confidence, shoot the puck. We've been through this with Kirby Doc before. If you've got the game on DVR, go back and watch Kirby Doc in overtime. He was, and I hate saying this because I feel like it's unfair, but he, to me, looked incredibly uninterested in defending or competing. He was outworked on the boards by Kuznetsov. There was another play later where Kuznetsov went around him again. And you saw him with one hand on the stick. Stick, as always, blade in the air, right? And him just sort of turning around like half-heartedly chasing guys who are busting in on Marc-Andre Fleury for a scoring chance. 
in three on three, you've got to be engaged. You've got to be engaged all the time. But I don't know if 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 something is starting to get to him, if he's starting to really feel the pressure of his scoring slump. I don't know, man. I don't know what the answer is, but maybe it's time for him to make his Rockford debut. Mm. I'm not. I, I, and I know that sounds hot takey, but how do you get him back on track? How do you get him feeling confident again? Maybe you need him to go down there and clown some people for a week and yeah. skate circles around some people for a week and remind himself Oh, yeah, I'm Kirby Doc. I was a number three overall pick. I'm a hell of a hockey player when I believe in myself because when I'm seeing like body language, which is always hard to read. I'm getting really bad body language vibes from Doc. And now we've already seen the reflection in the play, but now we're seeing the body language, too. I don't know, man. Maybe it's a little bit harsh. And I don't know if I want to go there like hard just yet that he needs to be sent down. But instead of a punishment, it could be something of a reset for him. Mm-hmm. remember the guy has never played a game in Rockford ever maybe he needs two three games to just go get it back feel better about himself and then come back you know guns blazing I don't know I, I just don't know how they're going to get him out of this I think the time to do that would have been kind of this stretch that started on Sunday when they lost to the Sharks. I feel like if you were going to kind of have Doc reset would have been like kind of a stretch where you're playing a couple of road games where you only have three games in the span of a week, kind of give the Blackhawks a little bit of a chance to, you know, have some flexibility in the lineup because you're not playing as much. This stretch they have coming up in the next two weeks, starting Saturday, they play nine games. Yeah, I don't get the sense that they're going to be able to – uh, have this be the Kirby Doc lesson tour just because of the fact that they're going to have so many games bunched up into such a short amount of time. So I think that your your idea there is not one that you can kind of dismiss out of hand. I know it sounds like you mentioned kind of sounds like a almost a hot takey thing. Yeah, but- and I just uh, let me be clear real quick. I'm not I'm not saying like Kirby, you suck. Go to Rockford. I'm just trying to think of a way the Hawks can get his game back. And, and I scratch, but th- that feel, um, I, I suppose, I suppose that's, that's an easier way to do it. But if, if confidence is the issue, how does it get it? But anyway, I derailed your point. Go ahead. Well, okay. I mean, what I was going to say is that if you're talking about confidence being an issue with him, what else could they possibly do at the NHL level? They've had him playing with Alex DeBrincat and Patrick Kane, and if that doesn't get a guy going offensively, what the hell is going to? Right. I mean, I mean, he didn't play the entire game with them tonight. He only played, I think it was a couple of minutes with those two, and then primarily played with DeBrincat and Strom during the game. But I noticed, I'm noticing the same things you are. I'm, I – have pointed out on numerous occasions when he's in front of the net. When you're standing there, that's great. Screen the goaltender. He has his stick up around his waist all the time. He yeah. never has his stick on the ice. It is such a weird quirk, and you're not going to score any goals when you have your stick up there. You're not going to deflect any pucks there. You can, you're not going to fluke into a goal yeah. most of the time well, when you, you have your stick like that. You know, if a knuckleball's coming at you, then you move the puck from the ice to the air, not vice sure. versa. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, so, it's just so bizarre watching him skate around with his stick not on the ice, and he does that occasionally on defense, too, and it drives me absolutely nuts nuts and I'm not sure why is he afraid of like committing stick penalties I have no idea what's kind of going through his head when he's doing some of that stuff 
but you just you notice him losing puck battles. You notice him in the corners. The puck always kind of squirts out instead of him coming away with it. He's he's not skating with a ton of confidence right now either, and that's always something that's really hard to uh, kind of read. Right. But on a breakout, you can always tell he's thinking so hard. He's gripping the stick so tight. There's a lot going on in his head right now, and I'm not sure – what exactly is going to be the kind of the key to unlock that save. But right now, they, he's quickly trending in a direction I don't like because you're looking at some of the other rookies and young guys who got drafted in that 2019 draft, and you just are watching Doc arguably regress. I, I don't even think he's just kind of treading water. I think he might actually be actively regressing. And you look at kind of the – rise of some of those other guys like your Zegrises and all those guys it's really coming down to the point where you're kind of wondering if the Blackhawks are going to have to cope with the fact that they maybe missed on this pick and I, I hate saying that because this is going to be his first 82 game season with the Blackhawks but man is he not inspiring any confidence right now at all what's you mentioned the 2019 draft so let's actually take a look at that okay um, number one, Jack Hughes. Number two, Capo Caco. Number three, Kirby Doc. Jack Hughes has played 120 NHL games. He has 55 points, 20 goals, and 35 assists. Capo mm-hmm. Caco has played 131 games. He's got 22 goals, 26 assists for 48 points. Kirby Doc has played 103 games. So the, the least of those three, He's got 13 goals, 28 assists for 41 points. So when you look at the points per game, if I do the math here real quick, I think Doc would actually be ahead of those guys mm-hmm. in terms of points per game. Let me just do it real quick. Do, 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 Jeopardy music, right? 41 divided by 103. Play along at home if you'd like. That's uh, .398 <laughs> points per game. Okay, now we'll do Caco, 48 divided by 131 is 366 so doc's got a lead on him and then we've got hughes 55 divided by 120 uh 458 yeah so so hughes has the lead in terms of points per game but remember jack hughes was undoubtedly you know there was the hashtag lose for hughes he was a huge pick a no doubt number one overall pick um so doc is is in the conversation with those guys, it just feels like, and maybe it's because we watch him every day. Maybe it's because it's been so long since he's scored. And like you said, recently, the arrow is very clearly pointing down on him. And yeah. it's not to me. And again, how many times have we said it's people are probably completing my sentence right now. Development is not linear, right. but right now it's linear pointed down. And, and that, I'm not, a, that I'm not enough concerning. of a knucklehead to say that like more each cider from the Red Wings there's nobody who thought he was going to be picked six. He was kind of far down the board when the Red Wings picked him, right? Like, I'm not going to sit here and try to make an argument that a guy like him or Cole Caulfield or, you know, any of those guys who have kind of had some, like, flashy impacts at whatever level they're playing at right now, I'm not going to say that that clearly means that they're better than Doc or that they clearly were the guy on draft night. Well, remember, but, I mean, but all these guys have played in the – they've played in the AHL. Colfield was just sent down, like, last week or two yep. weeks ago. Right. And had to get a little a bit of a breather and come back up. So it's not unheard of. Again, like Bowen Byram, who was taking a pick after Doc, did not play until this season. 
right. other teams are bringing their guys along in a kind of a more natural way. And this is one of the knocks that was on Stan Bowman is that he was so quick to get his prospects in. And it seemed almost like it was their job to lose instead of win. And if they didn't do anything to prove they absolutely don't belong, they were going to make the team. Whereas most other teams and most other GMs and hopefully Kyle Davidson is this way. Look at it and say, okay, you're probably not going to make the team. Now, if you are, if you look like Connor McDavid for the entire preseason and training camp, then we'll reconsider. But unless you look that great, you're going to start your career properly in the minor leagues. And I think now that Bowman's out, we might see a little more of a deliberate approach with prospect development and look no further than Lucas Reichel. I wonder if Stan Bowman was a GM, if Reichel would be in Chicago by now, I would, I would bet dollars to donuts. He would be. Well, yeah, I I think that that's a pretty, uh, that's a pretty fair question to ask. And I think another question to ask is would Jeremy Colleton still be the head coach? Oh, I, uh, I don't, it depends. Like did it, if it kept going the way it was going, remember Emily Kaplan, when she first reported that his job was not in danger, remember all those months ago. And then oh, she's yeah. like, well, now if it's 20 games and they still suck, <laughs> <laughs> then, then we're talking. So maybe maybe we finally would have gotten to that point because the Hawks just played game 22 right. uh, tonight. So if it, if it had if the season had looked like it was looking, I think, yes, even Bowman would have said, OK, let's put this guy out of his misery, because at some point you can't just look at your team in the eyes and say, nope, this is the guy. Yep, this is the guy. So, I will also point out that I think part of the conversation about the 2019 draft is probably being colored a little bit by the fact that Jack Hughes just signed an eight million dollar a year extension. Yeah. And the like the idea of Kirby Doc signing an extension anywhere close to that is laughable right now. Yeah. All right. Before we move on from this game and get to some of the news and notes of the day, uh, there was one more subtle move uh, that Derek King did that I really liked late in the first uh, Hawks have like, maybe there's like, let's see, I want to say like two minutes left or so he puts Kane out there with Debrinket and doc at the end of the period, just cause he's like, I got one more offensive shift here. Let's maximize it. Let's make something happen. And remember the Hawks had really been getting taken to the woodshed possession wise from the moment the Murphy hit happened to the end of the second period until with a minute left exactly in the period to bring it scores assisted from Kane. And then the game again, watch that game flow on natural stature. It goes as soon as the Hawks score, the arrow points up for them again, that changed the entire game. So a little bit of a heady move by Derek King to tap Patrick Kane, say, go take an extra shift right now. And let's try to score here at the end of the period. And it worked. Um, so I want to give him a little bit of kudos. Uh, and, and as far as that goes, I think that was a, a pretty solid coaching decision by Derek King. He's hitting some good buttons. I feel like he's uh, probably not directly responsible necessarily no. for the record that they've put up that uh, since he's taken charge. But I do think that the players are responding to kind of his expertise, to his honesty, to his presence. I do think that there is something to be said about that. He definitely has kind of changed the tenor of the conversation around the guys in the locker room and on the ice. I know there was a lot of other 
off-ice stuff that was happening right around that same time that kind of got tangled into that. But if we're looking strictly from a locker room and an on-ice perspective, I feel like he's been a very calming influence, and it's something that we were told when he became the interim head coach that that was going to be something he was going to kind of bring to the table, his honesty and his kind of straightforwardness. And I do think that the players have really – responded well to that and I think that moments like that that you mentioned in the game with him putting Kane out I think just kind of underscores the fact that he is kind of a really savvy guy and kind of gets the idea of doing things to kind of spark the team that aren't just you know bag skating them or whatever like it seems like he's really kind of got a good touch in game for making those types of adjustments and I do think that that was a that was a good example of him kind of doing something like that to kind of light a little bit of a fire under the team and to kind of turn the momentum around in the game a little bit. I, I just like his demeanor overall. He just he kind of has a calming presence. And I think like there's something to be said for just being a normal dude. And yeah. I think Derek King is very much just a normal dude. And I think that's what a lot of us liked about Matt Nagy <laughs> early on <laughs> before like coaching the Bears drove him clinically insane. It's just you know, he like seemed like a guy you could just hang out with and have a conversation with. And then something changed in him. Um, but I don't know. I just I like that. And I think it's just such a different approach where Derek King said, all right, I'm not going to come in here and reinvent the wheel. Give me some time to look it over. See what I think. I'm going to trust my assistants. He kind of gave the reins of practice over to Mark Crawford, who, you know, with Colin was just like, OK, <laughs> OK, buddy, <laughs> whatever you whatever you think, man. Um the team looks di- it's a different team. It is a they're playing better than I thought they would be able to after seeing the beginning of this year, especially considering the fact that they've turned it around. Remember the last two games they allowed against St. Louis and San Jose only three shots on goal in the third period. Today they allowed seven, which is still not a huge number. So right. defensively they're tightening things up. Uh now the offense needs to catch up. And, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. I just, it just seems like the waters have calmed a little bit. You just don't see the chaos that we were seeing earlier in the season. Even when the Hawks are kind of, you know, getting the game taken to them a little bit by superior opponents, it still looks normal. Does that make sense? Like, it doesn't look like, what am I watching here? It looks like normal yeah. hockey, even when they're not doing well. And I think there's something to be said for normalcy. And I think Derek King has a lot to do with that whole thing. All right, going to take a quick timeout. We come back. A couple news and notes. A Blackhawk was traded today. Didn't know if he caught that news. Uh, a couple other Hawks uh, in the trade rumors as well, and a couple other things to get to before we wrap it up here on the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Welcome back into this post-game edition of the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. We've been talking pretty extensively about the Blackhawks shootout victory over the Washington Capitals this evening. Now we must turn our attention to other matters in Blackhawks land, and we will start with a trade, a trade that happened. The Blackhawks made a move, sending Malcolm Subban to the Buffalo Sabres for future considerations, not past considerations, not present, (laughs) future I like those. Those are the best kind, the future considerations. They are um, ideal, yes. You knew something was going to have to give in the with the goalie situation. Um, I like Malcolm Subban. I seems like a really great dude. Hopefully he gets to go play a little bit in Buffalo. Um, and it just kind of shows you, like, Delia Subban 
sort of interchangeable. Neither of them has a ton of value in the league. And I think we knew that they probably weren't going to finish this season with both of them in the organization. So Calendelia gets to be uh, the main man in Rockford and uh, Malcolm Subban gets a fresh start in Buffalo. So, hey, good luck. Who knows what the future considerations will be, but uh, Malcolm Subban, no longer a Hawk. Also, Frank Saravelli, um, one of the hockey insiders, he just changed affiliations. So let me uh, make sure I give him the right credit here. For, for the record, they should have traded for Henry Yoka. How are you, my friend? Maybe that's a future consideration, my friend. That would be a future consideration. You want to get real technical. <laughs> uh, Frank Saravelli now with uh, the Daily Faceoff. He had his list of 15 names in play ahead of the trade deadline. Dylan Strom on the list, not a surprise. We knew that the Hawks are trying to move him. Uh, They might have to eat some salary to do so, but uh, the fact remains he is on a trade block. But the name that surprised me, Henrik Borgstrom. And before we get into it, I know that Kyle Davidson does not have the tie to Henrik Borgstrom like Stan Bowman did, where he traded Carlson and Walmart to Florida to get Stillman and Borgstrom and Connolly back. Um, but I think trading Borgstrom now is a really bad idea. Like, I don't know if his value will ever be lower. Um, I would want to see him play. He's got this year and next at a million bucks. Then he's a restricted free agent with arbitration rights. Why not at least play out this year with him and see what you've gotten him? He's 24 years old. He has shown some signs of being capable and competent. Um, I would give him a year before I trade him. And if they decide this summer, like, okay, you know, maybe this is a guy we don't need trade him. He's got a year left and he's restricted. I just think trading Borks from now would be a mistake. Whatever they're going to get back for him to me is less valuable than the value of getting a look at him for a season. Should I uh, advocate for the devil or should I agree with you? I wanted you to say what you think. Well, what I think is that I, I'm normally kind of a guy who would say to be patient with somebody who was in all likelihood the centerpiece of a trade. But at the same time, I grow concerned that if they hold on to him and he continues to struggle, that would potentially drive his value down. So I would be curious to know whether the Blackhawks could still maybe potentially sell a little bit higher than maybe we would think after kind of the way he has started, maybe take advantage of some idea that he could still uh, get into some untapped reserves of excellence or something like that. That would be probably the only scenario I could see a logical argument to potentially trade him. Now, of course, if teams are going to kind of try to put you over a barrel and try to give you a really bad offer for him, then no, of course not. I think you hold on to him. But if you're looking at a guy who you could maybe get a team to kind of buy into the hype on a little bit since he hasn't had that much experience just yet to kind of tamp that down, maybe he's a dude you can do that with. If you're getting, I'll say this, if you get more than a third round pick for him, I I could, I would say do it. But Mm -hmm. if we're talking late round pick or another futures thing, nah, there's no point. Like I, I'd rather I'd rather go with what I have than you know take another lottery ticket and push the payoff down the line. I think it'd be smarter to hold on to him in that scenario. Yeah, I, I'm I'm not I'm not giving up on him. It's been 13 games. He's only got two points, but like we mentioned in the last podcast, there's been a definite jump in his play over the last little bit. This game, uh, not as noticeable. 
Um, he had was a minus one, two shots on goal, one more shot attempt in 1549, two for 13 at the faceoff dot on a night where the Hawks actually didn't do terrible at the faceoff dot. Yeah. Uh, Kara 57%, Taves, 50, I'm sorry, Strom 57%, Taves 72%. He won 13 of 18. And guess what, James? Guess what? Kirby Doc, 56%. You are darn right, man. That is a huge day. That is a huge, <laughs> huge day for Kirby Doc. He gets an I air- saw that. I was like, no way. He gets an air horn. Way to go, oh, Kirby. Man, we don't we don't bust that out often. I think that we we were critical of his game enough tonight that I think he deserved that. <laughs> yeah, we got to give him a credit. All right, so last thing, and uh, maybe I say the 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 juiciest nugget for last. So today on Twitter. Uh, Mando, Mando Martinez writes at me and he says on the dropping the gloves podcast with John Scott today, he mentioned that Dylan Strom has the skills to be a top player in the league, but feels his issue is his work ethic. We'd love to hear your thoughts on his, on this. And if you've heard any indication of a work ethic issue, I had not heard that until today. (laughs) (laughs) I texted, uh, one of my closest sources, one of my best sources, and said, hey, does this uh, jive to you? The response, yes, he's lazy. <laughs> I mean, that is about as, I, this has been a source for a long time. One of the ones who's given me some of my biz- biggest scoops. And usually I have to kind of decode things or a little bit more cryptic. Nope, not with this one. Yes, he's lazy. So work ethic does appear to be an issue for Dylan Strom, which could explain why Jeremy Cowden didn't seem to love him. And then Derek King came in and was like, fresh start for Dylan Strom. And then th- two or three games in, he's like, mm, I think Dylan Strom's going to sit for Reese Johnson. What do you think about that? So that could be, uh, well, I would imagine that's a huge part of what is influencing uh, how things are going for Dylan Strom this season. So who knows? Maybe he's just worn out, which, you know, these guys are human and they've been through a lot. And if you've heard some of the things he's said, this year, he's been like, yeah, you know, I just I go home to my dog and that makes me happy. My dog and my family just mm-hmm. kind of talking like a guy who's kind of mentally beat a little bit. And when you feel like you are deep down in the doghouse, sometimes it's hard to find the uh, I don't know. What would you say? Like Find the motivation to work your way out of it. And that that sucks. And it's probably going to cost him his time in Chicago and, you know, probably cost him some money down the road. But uh dylan strom seems like a good dude i hope he figures it out but yeah a little bit of a nugget from one of my best sources that uh, work ethic is indeed or at least has indeed been an issue for dylan strom lately so something to keep an eye on as the trade deadline approaches and uh as the season goes on so anyway good win for the hawks tonight man 4-3 win in in washington in the shootout uh like james said earlier a bunch of games coming up here soon so you know there's gonna be a bunch of podcasts coming up here soon so make sure you're subscribed Leave those five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts for us and send us those screenshots December 2nd today. So this weekend, I'm going to go through last month's five-star reviews and choose two or three people to win Madhouse Prize Pack, Madhouse Podcast prize packs. So if you want one, send those five-star Apple Podcast reviews. They are like gold for podcasters. And email them to madhousepod at gmail.com. For my partner, James Naveau, I'm Jay Zawoski. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast was brought to you by Fry the Coop, Triple Threat Sports, and by the Sins In Law Group.
Mira Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.